In Africa, that's not an uncommon sight. Um, when people come to church, they feel like they want to give something back to God. Yeah. So sometimes, uh, if you're in Africa and you take the offering, people usually come up to give their offering, uh, and they lay it on the table. And sometimes there'll be eggs. Sometimes there'll be live chickens. They'll tie their feet, lay them up there. Um, if you're going on a trip, because there's no refrigeration, they'll give you a live chicken. They'll tie its feet and give you the chicken. And um, when you get to where you're stopping for that night, then you kill the chicken and that's your supper. So they don't give you a, a dead chicken because it would spoil by the time you get to wherever you're going because the sun's hot and it's a long way. So that's what they do. Sometimes there's, they'll even put, uh, lay at the, at the bottom here some fruits or vegetables or whatever they have. They're going to share uh, produce, um, whatever's growing at the time that they have to offer to God, maybe even a lamb or a goat. And um, so sometimes church is exciting uh, in Africa. I was preaching in this little, little place up in the mountains in South Africa. And it was, it was a beautiful place, but it was just this little mud hut. It was small. And um, windows and doors, but no, nothing in them. Just open enclosures there. And rows of benches and stuff. And so uh, it came time to... For the service to start, and, and here the people come. They're coming from, I don't know where they came from. You couldn't see a house from where I was standing. All these people came, and there was quite a few of them, a lot of little kids and women and children, and they're sitting on the benches, and they're sitting on the ground. And we start singing, and they sing for an hour, hour and a half, something like that, and uh, before the service starts, or before the preaching starts, and then there'll be prayers and testimonies and all kinds of stuff, and after a couple hours, then we'll get to, to, to sharing the word. But we're doing that, we're singing and everything, and this whole flock of, of goats comes by. And they're walking along, and everybody's inside there singing and all that, and a goat comes and looks at the door, and he looks inside there, and, and uh, he knows those people, they take care of him, you know. So the whole flock of goats, they just come right in the church, everybody just keeps on singing, nobody does anything. The whole group of them, they sit there, look around, and they all sit down right there. And so they're sitting there, and... Uh, so I get up and, and preach, have the sermon and all that kind of stuff. They never said a word. They just sat there and, and watched and all of that. And uh, came time for the benediction, gave the benediction, and they started to sing again. And the goats very quietly got up and left. Service was over. <laughs> uh, it's just fun. So this morning, um, we're talking about this transformation using the, this egg here. And it's very true that God, because he created us in his image, when Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says we are destined, or predestined, if you want to use that language, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We are to be like Jesus. Initially, we were created in God's image, and we messed that up. Over in Ephesians, uh, Paul says the very same thing. In verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is yours and mine today. All we have to do is live it out. The blessings are there. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
That's why he created us in his image. If we were created in the image of God, it's to be holy and blameless in his sight. And Adam and Eve were. Holy and blameless. The holy, awesome God came in the evening and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And they didn't think anything about it. I mean, they didn't feel anything unusual. Or they didn't feel extra special. This is just what you did. You walked with God in the evening. Every day. He came down and you walked with him and talked with him. And talked about what things were doing, going on. And it was just a normal, natural thing for them before the fall. So, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of, uh, with his pleasure and will. This is the will of God, that we be like him. And he says it again. And he talks about... Um, um, in him we have redemption through Jesus, through his blood, forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And he showed us this, uh, which he purposed in Christ, to bring all things together in heaven and on earth under that one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen. So, we are the chosen ones. God chose us. And he predestined us for what purpose? To be like his son, to be his children. Now, we wrestle with that. In the book of Galatians, he's writing to Christian people, but they have a problem. They had people coming in saying they had all these rules and regulations they had to follow. And um, so what happens is we get sidetracked and we start focusing in on the outward things. God's interested and focuses on what's happening inside. It's like this egg. If this thing is becoming a chicken... The real action is going on inside, not outside. There's nothing I can do to this thing to create a chicken inside there. I can't do that. God created it to where it will become, if it's a fertilized egg, it will become a chicken. And like the children told us, it's not going to be an oak tree. It's not going to be a rhinoceros. <laughs> it will be a chicken. That's what it was made for. But Paul says, well, um, in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul writes to these Galatian Christians, and he calls them, My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And the plan and purpose of God, Paul says, is that Christ be formed in each and every one of us. And together we become the body of Christ. Peter talks about it in uh, the first letter that he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is how he put it, read 14 and, and 16, he says, as obedient children, writing to the church, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And this is taken from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. He says it several times. And when he's giving them um, 
all the, the, the rules and regulations to be the people of God in order for them to be a distinctive people. He says, you're to do these things. Uh, I am the Lord. So we do these things. Why? Because God is God and we are to be like him. So notice what, Paul, what Peter says here. Just as he who called you is holy, so go and do holy things. No, that's not what he said. What he said is because God himself is holy, then you become like him. You are holy. So if we started working on things outwardly, from the outside working in, doing holy things so that in eventually we will become holy, it'll never happen. We can't do enough holy things to be made a difference in our heart and in our life. That won't change our motive. That won't change our attitude. won't change the desires of our heart. Uh, it looks good outwardly sometimes. Sometimes not so good. But we can't begin from the outside. You can't do holy things. If you are not holy inside, everything you or I do is corrupt. Everything. Because it's tainted with the sin of what's in us. Even the good things we do is, are tainted because of motive, because of whatever, because it's a part of us. So the only thing that happens is that God begins to work within us. He begins to change us from the inside and then we are holy. And that means that once that holiness is within, everything we do becomes holy. It becomes an act of worship and praise to God. You can wash the dishes and it can be a holy thing. You can clean the toilet and it can be a holy thing. Everything you do becomes uh, an expression of the holiness that's within. If it's not inside, it's not going to happen. So we are holy because God is holy. And because God created us in his image, to be like him is to be holy. So what, how do we define holiness anyway? What does it mean to be holy? Literally, at the end of the day, bottom line thing is holiness is being in right relationship with God and walking with him. Adam and Eve, before the fall, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, were walking in holiness. They were with the Lord and they were like him. So if we are not in relationship with him, a living relationship, walking with him and becoming like him, there is no holiness in us. And it never will be. So how does that work? Well, in Matthew 17, we have an example. In Matthew 17, we know it as the transfiguration. And what happens uh, at the transfiguration is what's inside of Jesus, it's always been there. It's been there because of who he is. What's inside of Jesus begins to shine forth through his body, his physical body. His physical body was as real as your or my physical body. Flesh and bones and blood. Um, he was like us in every way in that sense. And what was inside him in a spiritual sense began to shine through him. Who he was began to shine through his actions 
and more so uh, even through his physical body. And this glory of God within him began to radiate out uh, as light and the disciples saw it. So the glory of God was shining through him. His essential nature and character revealed in human flesh. And it was awesome. But, you know, that's Jesus, right? I mean, he's God. Uh -huh. If he really is who he says he was, if he's really God, you would expect something like that. Uh, why should we be surprised if God took on human form and then he began to reveal it and radiate his glory through that body? But it's not just Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Now you have to remember who the Corinthians were. This was a seaport town. And it was everything uh, a seaport town is today and more. And it had an international reputation, the people of Corinth. If you wanted to make somebody really mad, I mean fight and spitting mad, uh, you'd tell them they had the manners of a Corinthian and you'd be in a fight right there. Um, these were, it was a rip-roaring, no-holds-barred, uh, nothing outlawed, anything-goes kind of place, Corinth. And if you read First and Second Corinthians, you find out what happens when some of those people get converted and come inside the church. And it's going to be like this egg. Uh, it doesn't go from an egg to a full-grown chicken overnight. Uh, I mean, there's some transformation taking place here. And it's not always an easy thing or a pretty thing to see. So he's writing to the church at Corinth and all of their struggles. And he's talking to them about the glory of the new covenant in Christ, and he's comparing it to the Old Testament covenant given on Mount Sinai to Moses. And he's talking here about uh, what's recorded in the book of Exodus, where Moses was up there in the presence of God, spent all that time up there, no food, no water, just in the living presence of God. When he comes down from the mountain, his, light, his face is radiating light. He doesn't notice it. Scares everybody else at the death. Here this guy comes down, his skin's radiating light, and they all run away, um, as we would as, as well. So what he would do is, um, when he talked to the people, he put a veil over his face so he wouldn't scare everybody. And he gave them the word of God, but when he went to, to be alone with God, he took away the veil and he spoke to God, as uh, scriptures tell us, face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. You become a friend to somebody by spending time with them, don't you? You can't be a person's friend if you're never around and you never spend time in them. Uh, you can, you know, it'll work for a little while, but there has to be some kind of personal connection there. And so Paul's writing and he's talking about that and he's saying, well... Uh, what happened with Moses was over a period of time, gradually, because it was a, a reflected glory, that glory began to fade away, and the light wouldn't radiate out so far. Uh, and that would have been an amazing thing. You get up in the middle of the night, you don't even need a, a flashlight or anything. I mean, you just... <laughs> but it, after a while, it began to fade away. And it, it didn't shine forth anymore, and pretty soon he didn't need to wear the veil. 
you know, I can relate to that. How many of you have had a, a been to a place or, or had an ex- a tremendous experience of just the presence of God? I mean, it was just God spoke to you and he, you knew that he was working within you and you knew his presence was there and it was an awesome thing. And then you went back home and got back into the normal everyday things of life and everything and that freshness, that life, that um, just an awareness of God with you slowly begins to fade until if we're not careful after a while it's as almost as if it had never happened uh, except in the memory and maybe if it was a genuine thing a change in the heart well Paul writes about that and, and he says for the Christian it's not like Moses because Moses the glory began to fade less and less and less But Christians are different than Moses because when we accept Christ, he enters in to our life. And Christ within us is who he always is and he does what he's always done and he acts the way he always acts. He doesn't change. What happens is he begins to change us from the inside. He does what you and I can't do. He goes inside. He goes inside the egg. And he begins to work a transformation, a change from inside. So if I broke this egg right now, it would look a certain way. If the chicken is in there and he grows and he hatches, it'll look entirely different and will act entirely differently. And the transformation will be complete. So Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're not confined in the egg for very long. That's just the beginning. But that's all it is. It's a beginning. And if we stay in an infantile state spiritually, we're like this egg, we'll go bad, get rotten. So the Lord has there, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He wants the shell to be broken. It's, I don't think it's a pleasant experience for the chicken to try to break out of that, of that shell. But if we went and broke the shell open for it, we would harm the chicken. Part of its growth, part of its strength, part of its maturing process is the actual process of breaking out of that shell. You can't help it without hurting it. And so he says, the Lord is the Spirit. He gives us a spirit of freedom to break out of that. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. It's the same word that Matthew uses about Jesus being transfigured. There's a change in form. We are being changed from the inside into his likeness, which Paul has already told us that's what God created us for. So... I don't have any coins. You remember um, they had the image. They had this coin, and they were trying to trick Jesus on a political question, economic question about uh, taxes. Uh, okay, uh, you're the son of God, and you're here. Or, or do you pay taxes? And he says, sure. Or Peter did. <laughs> and so they're trying to trick Jesus up again, and, and they said, um, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
him being Jesus being a good Jew and oppressed people uh, and they're waiting to hear what he says so they try to they call it the, in logic the horns of a dilemma there's no right answer you know if you say yes then you're going to make one whole group of people wrong if you say no you make another whole group of people wrong either way you're going to be wrong to somebody and Jesus never did those kinds of things he never played those kinds of games they tried it several times and, and, and it never worked with him so he said who's got a coin and they gave him a coin and he picked it up and he looked at it and he said well whose picture is that and they said Caesar Jesus said well it looks like Caesar give to Caesar what belongs to him pay your taxes but the point is you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar but he didn't stop there he said then you give to God what belongs to God whose picture whose inscription is on the coin Caesar's okay give the coin to Caesar whose image are you created in God's then you give to God what belongs to God and that's you So we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory because he is in us if we are Christians. Christ in us. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the light instead of getting dimmer becomes brighter. And so what he's saying is that more and more as you progress and I progress in our spiritual life people should be able to see more clearly the image of Christ in us in how we do our jobs and how we relate to our families and how we deal with our children our husbands or wives and how we relate to the people that we work with how we relate to the people that are over us in our jobs or people who are under us in our jobs or people that we meet as we going down the road or in the grocery store or wherever else they ought to be able to see in us in increasing way the presence of Christ so, if the chicken's in here, is he working hard to become a chicken? I mean, is he, I don't hear him saying, trying to become a chicken. Can't become a tree. Can't become a rhinoceros. Got to be a, a chicken. He's not doing that. It is a natural thing because that's what he was predestined for. And when God, Christ Jesus enters into our hearts and lives he begins to change us from the inside and it's not the kind of thing that we go out by our own efforts and by our own holiness or our own righteous deeds it's not that he changes the desires of our heart and we are different people now we may act differently but that's because the desire to act differently is inside it's not because somebody's saying you have to do this way it's not that at all it's this is what I want to do because God changed the desires of my heart more in keeping with the desires that God has for us as being his image and sometimes in the process of transformation it takes time and sometimes we forget who we are and um, there'll be an attitude come up or some words come up or some actions that we know better and we end up doing them anyway and and the Lord says wait a minute uh, that's not me that's not like me that's you oh that's right I need to come back and be more like you Lord I'm having trouble here can you help me and he does 
He brings forgiveness, cleansing. If we stumbled and fallen, he picks us up, dusts us off. Okay, this is the way. And we're off. And we go again. So we're being transformed into his likeness. Well, how does that work in a practical way? Back to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I think it's important for us to remember that this morning. Romans 12. Therefore, Paul writes to the church at Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So I'm bringing a chicken to God. Offer your bodies. It may not be in its final form. The process of transformation still going on, but physically present your bodies before God. Instruments of righteousness, not instruments of sin. Present your bodies holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what worship is all about. Do not conform, same thing that Peter was saying, any longer to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern takes this and tries to make something different out of it. Now, it's not designed to be anything different. But the world tries to make it something else. And when you try to do that, what happens? When you try to make this something other than it is, what happens? It's ruined. Ultimately, it's going to be destroyed. Because it wasn't created for those things. It wasn't designed for that purpose. So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, a lot of the spiritual directors in the past have used the phrase about praying to God with the mind in the heart. The mind in the heart. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It, it, it involves your heart. That's the desires, the motive, the direction that you're... And they're talking about entering into prayer with the mind and the heart. Thinking about what you're doing. Letting it transform your thoughts. Letting God be the one who is directing us how to pray and how to live. Jesus himself, if you read especially the Gospel of John, he says it over and over and over again. And Luke shows us all the time that he goes into prayer. And he gets off by himself, alone with God. Praying, sometimes early in the morning. He goes, seeks out a desolate place that's silent and alone. So he can be alone with the Father. And when he comes back, he says, the things that I'm doing is what I saw my Father doing. The things that I'm saying are the words that he told me to say. And I'm walking with him. That's the pattern for our lives. That's what Paul's talking about. So we don't conform. We present our bodies. We renew our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what Jesus was talking with uh, the woman at the well about. God is spirit. And they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 12. 
That's worship in spirit, and that's true worship. Worship is more than words. It's more than songs, although those are, all of that's part of it. Huh? It's the way that we express what's going on. It's how we offer ourselves to God. It's a response to what God is doing in us at the time. And so that's what a life-changing, transformational thing. Because when we worship God in spirit and in truth, we are changed. We worship Him in spirit and truth, and we come away different people. It has nothing to do with how we feel. It has everything to do with who we are. So we become like the God we worship. This is why God seeks people who worship in this way. And that's what Jesus told the woman, wasn't it? If you're going to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and truth because God the Father is looking for people who worship in this way. God is a spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So, you a good egg or a bad egg? Are you doing exactly what God wants us to do? Or are we going our own way? If we stay in here long enough, we'll either be transformed or we'll rot. It's going to be one or the other. So in our Christian lives, is the transformation an ongoing thing? If not, we're imploding from within. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that through your love and mercy, even before the creation of the world, before you ever formed Adam and Eve, you predestined them to be created in your image. And they were. We're thankful, Lord, that through your love and grace poured out upon us so freely through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's a reformation, a transformation that takes place within us as our sinful, selfish selves are transformed by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the blood of Christ to our lives daily. We are transformed into the image of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the witness to your faithfulness and glory. The Holy Spirit given to witness, working within us and speaking what he's always speaking to glorify the Son. In whose name we pray. Amen.